0: Good morning, Chapter Wilesville. My name is Joe McKechnie. And I'm so blessed to be the pastor here, and it's an honor to be in worship with each and every one of you this morning. Now, uh, we all need prayer, okay? We need people who are covering us in prayer, people who are praying for us, people who are going to God on their knees every day on our behalf. And uh, we want to support you here at Chapel Roswell as well. And so if you're going through difficult times, you need prayer. If you're going through a joyous time and you want someone to rejoice and celebrate with you, we want to know what concerns you have on your heart. So you'll notice those connect cards in your pew. And if you have a prayer request, nobody will see it except for me, unless you want us to to, to publicly mention your prayer concern or prayer request. But if you've got something to, uh, you want us to pray about, I would just encourage you to, to fill out the card. We've got basket, baskets at uh, each doorway, or you can hand it to me. But it's an honor to pray for those who want prayer. Now, as we come together this morning, let me pray for us. Well, dear most gracious and loving God, we thank you for leading each of us here this morning We ask you to open our eyes and our minds as we are blessed and challenged. May your word come alive as you continue to woo us into a deeper connection with you. Heavenly Father, there are so many needs and concerns, and you know these long before we mention them. We know people who are battling disease or illness, and we pray for healing and peace. There are people struggling in their marriage, and we ask for a supernatural touch upon their relationships. Lord, maybe some of us are facing big decisions, and we pray for discernment and godly wisdom. Maybe we're going through a great season, and we come to you with a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. And Lord, may our gathering this morning be a blessing to each person here, but more importantly, may our gathering this morning be pleasing and honoring to you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for first loving us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's. Fun Super Bowl morning! I'm glad each and every one of you has made part of your morning with us. Now, let me take you back about 150 years. There was a a phenomenon that that started to sweep the nation. Started in the North United States, and and this this movement, this uh, this this phenomenon, it 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 actually drew a lot of a lot of uh, praise, a a lot of applause uh, in the northern states. But but in the South, it just wasn't that big of a deal. Now, let me take you back to 1869. Politicians. Scholars, church leaders, pastors, men, they were vehemently against this movement that was sweeping the country. After all, they said it's going to ruin the South if it makes it this far down. And you know what? The Methodists were at the forefront of this stuff. The, the sweeping movement was referred to by the Methodists as an outbreak. We don't want it to come down here in the South. What was this sweeping movement? The, the one that caused so much hostility? Amongst the pastors in the South? Anybody want to guess? Super Bowl Sunday. What does that mean? Football true story. The first college football game was played in 1869, and the Ivy League schools were the ones who first adopted the sport. It grew very quickly in the Northeast, but didn't really take a foothold in the South at that time. Now, when football did attract some early followers, it was met with massive opposition in the South, led by the railings of the Methodist pastors. So uh, why did the Southern Methodist oppose football? Well, a couple reasons. They viewed football as violent and barbaric, unnecessary, something that a genteel Southern gentleman would never want to do. Uh, Secondly, uh, they worried that the sport would keep college students from focusing on their academics. I'm glad that got figured out. Um, uh, Thirdly, football was seen, this is a big one, was seen as a Northern sport, promoted by the arrogant colleges of the North. Uh, The Northern game was entrenching on Southern values. There was a minister by the name of uh, Warren Candler. He was a Methodist pastor. He was president of Emory College, now Emory University. He was the brother of Asa Candler, the founder of the Coca-Cola Company. And Reverend Chandler, he forbade the school from having a football team. And he even forbade any of his students from watching a football game. Uh, there's a Methodist college, Trinity College, in North Carolina. It's now referred to as Duke University. The president at Duke, he he was from the North, he was from Dartmouth, he was from the Ivy Leagues, he brought football with him, and that's a Methodist school. The Methodists were so outraged that they fired the board of directors, they made him disband the football team, and they got him fired the next year. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution, in fact, railed against football, and, and they demanded that the University of Georgia get rid of their football team, and they did. Despite the constant railings, though, of southern Methodist preachers and leaders, football slowly started to gain a foothold in the south. I'm not sure how that turned out. Is football still big down in the south? I I don't know. In the 1920s, though, the angst and the opposition around football started to fade. Now football, though, is bigger than ever in the south. My, how things change. How, How things change over time. And that change is something that the Apostle Paul wants to bring to our focus this morning. Uh, In Scripture as we talk about Super Bowl Sunday, we find a whole lot of examples about athletics, about sports. The Greeks and the Romans were incredibly active in sport. They were well known for their passion for for, um, athletics. In my sports casting days, before ministry, I would visit a lot of SEC schools, and I would see the fan bases, the the so-called fanatics. I mean, these fans, you could just watch them for a a matter of mere moments, and you could tell uh, their team of loyalty. You could tell uh, for whom they were. Were cheering. They make it known which team they're following. The word fan, though, originally wasn't a positive word. The word fan is short for fanatic. Okay, we know that. That word comes from a Latin word, "fanum," which means sanctuary. You see, people who'd go into the temple, people who'd go into the sanctuary, they were referred to as fanatics, hence the name fan. A, a fan today, I think, could be described as maybe, a, let's say, an enthusiastic admirer. An enthusiastic admirer. Are you a fan of Jesus? Am I a fan of God's word? I hope so. Uh, Do you you want to follow Jesus? I, I hope so. But here's a critical question Am I, Joe, am I a fan of Jesus or am I a follower of Jesus? because there's a difference. You see, I think fans, they want to be close enough to Christ to receive the benefits, but not close enough that they feel obligated to change or do something different. A a follower, though, is someone whose life has been changed by Jesus and is then deliberately and intentionally seeking to follow God. A a follower is someone whose life has been changed by Christ and wants to live their lives with the power and the passion of Jesus. A, A mere fan, for example, might say, yeah, I like Jesus, that's that's cool, but don't ask me to to help the poor. A fan, a mere fan might say, yeah, I like Jesus, but don't ask me to forgive that person over there, I don't like them. A mere fan might say that, I like Jesus, but but these folks over there, they're not like me at all, I don't want to do anything about them, don't expect me to go reach out to them. A, A mere fan might say, that group over there does things that I disagree with, so I don't want anything to do with them. A mere fan will say I like Jesus, but so don't expect me to leave my comfort zone. Those are some statements that you might find from a mere fan. But we're not called to be fans. We're called to be followers. A true follower, for example, will say, okay, Jesus, I I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know what you have in store for me to do, but I will follow you wherever you will take me, even if it's way outside of my comfort zone. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Am I, Joe, am I a fan or am I a follower? See, oftentimes we want the healing, but we don't want the healer. And that's what scripture talks about. The apostle Paul is writing a letter to the Christians in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a a large metropolitan area. Paul wanted to travel to Corinth. Now, why would he choose that city? Well, going to Corinth was something Paul had planned to do, prayed about it for a long time, and he was looking forward to the opportunity to bring good news to the people of Corinth, a wide, diverse population. Paul also chose Corinth because it was the location of the famous Isthmian Games. The the Isthmian Games were held every two years, the year before the Olympics, the years um, after the Olympics. And the Isthmian Games originated in Corinth. That way it was a big source of pride to the people there. The Isthmian Games featured events such as foot races and chariot races, boxing, wrestling, and even poetry and singing competitions. The the Isthmian Games were the pride of all Corinth. The Games were in fact in honor of the pagan god Poseidon, the the god of the sea. The entire event really was wrapped in uh, pagan worship. The, The Isthmian Games, though, they were held in the year AD 51. Paul knew this would provide an awesome opportunity to reach so many people from all over the world, a big, diverse group of folks. So Paul, he didn't sit back and say, okay, if y'all need anything, I'm over here, come to find me. Nor did Paul sit back and say, you know what, I know how you guys could experience some peace, some hope, some joy, and some purpose, so I'll be over here if you need me. Paul didn't sit back and say, you know what, I know how you can experience something that is life-changing, not merely life-enhancing. If you want to know about it, then, then find me later on. No, Paul went to where the people were. He knew they would be in Corinth. He knew the people of Corinth, this wide, diverse population, would be focused on the Isthmian games. He wanted other people to experience the hope, the peace, the joy, and the salvation that he did. We're called to do the same thing, uh, to take the message into the world. Uh, not expect people to come in to the life of the church, not to, to come into these four walls, uh, but rather to take the good news out there. As followers of Jesus, we're, we're, we're called to find people where they are, maybe hurting, maybe lonely, maybe ostracized, maybe outcast. We're called to reach people for Christ. We're called to show the love and the mercy and the hope that God has shown us. And that means going out to the people, leaving the four walls to find people who desperately need that hope. Where are people hurting? Where are the people who have been overlooked or forgotten by the church? Where are the people who society says, you know what, you're kind of on the fringe of us over there? Who are the people that the world says, you know, you don't matter? Because the people do matter to God, and therefore as followers of him, they should matter to us. It's in this context, then, that Paul writes this message. It's the letter to the Christians in the city of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize that prize. The, the idea of the, the Christian life as a a journey, as a marathon, as a race, as a run, was one that Paul used throughout his ministry. Now, we know that, that metaphors are always going to you know, break down at a certain level. The, the Christian life is not against someone else, like it would be in a, in a race, for example. And nor is Paul saying that, that we have to run in order for our salvation. No, uh, our running is because we want to pursue those things of God, and, and, and God doesn't save us because of what we do. It's based on what we believe. We believe in Christ. And so Paul's not saying that either. But the idea of athletes running a a prize race working to, to convey this, this dedication and this intentionality, that's the thing that Paul wanted to write about, and that's the thing that you and I friends, are called to live out. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, only one gets the prize. run in such a way as to get that prize. You see, when we run, okay, we're running from somewhere, running to somewhere else. Running takes the intentional and deliberate will of us, action moving from one place to another. And as followers of Jesus. We're called to be deliberate, to be intentional about living lives that bring glory to God, honor to God, while also bringing hope and healing to those folks who aren't like us. I remember back up. When I was a sportscaster, and, and you'd see all the, the different events. I went to the Olympics, for example, in 96, and you see these people from all over the world. They're, they're training, they're very diligent, they're very dedicated to what they're trying to do. And that's what Paul is saying. We have to be the same way. Are we truly dedicated to living the life that Christ has in store for us? Turn on the TV, watch the news, and you'll see all sorts of atrocities, suffering, people afraid. A lot of stuff going on in this country, a lot of stuff going on in the rest of the world. We need healing, we need peace. And I know it's easy to feel discouraged when you watch that stuff, but I have to say, okay, Joe, what am I doing about that? Am I leading the way to bring about peace or change? And I content merely with the way things are? A runner is focused on that goal regardless of how difficult it may be. Athletes have discipline. The word disciple comes from the word discipline. Athletes have discipline. Okay. They're they're gonna focus on what they're trying to do. In the Isthmian games, okay, each athlete had to train diligently for ten months. Okay, then for the final two months, they would take part in these supervised, you know, events, these super, supervised, you know, workouts kind of stuff as they got ready for the big games. In other words, no half-heartedness would really work. That, that wouldn't do. And that's what we're called to do is we're athletes running toward something. In our Christian lives, uh, that dedication, that intentionality, that also is how we're called to live out. And I know that, that for example, here at Chapel Roswell, we offer so many opportunities to grow, and to serve? How is God calling you to to respond to maybe those opportunities? I want you to check out our website at chapelroswell.com and you can see ways to make a tangible and eternal difference in the lives of people in our community, in our nation, and, and, and literally within our world. Friends, may what we do in here fill the streets out there, We talk about Super Bowl Sunday and two teams coming together to give it all they've got. And and I think there's a message for us in that, too, that that as believers and followers of Christ, we're called to give it all we've got. Are we? Uh, Am I? Uh, Sometimes I don't know. But I pray we can make a difference in the world because of the difference Jesus made in us. Uh, Now, finally this morning, I want to take you back to Dallas-Fort Worth a couple years. Check out this video. state of Texas, high school football is huge, and one of the teams with a statewide reputation is the Grapevine Faith Christian Academy, the Lions. They are a perennial powerhouse. They've won nine state titles. Grapevine Faith, they have huge crowds, a fantastic booster club, state-of-the-art facilities, talented athletes, and a lot of community support. A few years ago, they were rolling through their schedule. Their next game was a home game as the Grapevine Faith Christian Academy rolled out the red carpet, playing host to the Gainesville State School. The Gainesville State School is located 75 miles away, but it's not like any other school. You see, the Gainesville State School is a maximum security prison for boys ranging in age from 12 through 18. The students here are convicted and violent felons. They've committed serious crimes and they're at the Gainesville State School as they await their 19th birthday, at which time they'll be moved to a maximum security adult prison. Each teenager here is confined to a small prison cell. It's a seemingly hopeless place. In fact, for many of the boys, their families have literally disowned them. The Gainesville State School, however, does have one ray of hope for some of the boys the chance to play high school football it's one of the incentives for the boys to stay out of trouble and to do well with their schoolwork. their team only has 14 players they play with old helmets and pads and uniforms all of their games are played on the road they literally have no fans unless you count the 12 armed guards who watch their every move Before this upcoming game, with Grapevine Faith Christian Academy hosting the Gainesville State School, the Grapevine coach, Chris Hogan, wanted the visiting Gainesville players to feel loved, supported, and appreciated. So here's what he did. His team always has tremendous community support, so he sent out an email to the parents and the fans in the community, and this is what he challenged them to do. Here is our plan. I want as many people as we can get to come down to the west end of the football field at 715 to make a spirit line for the Gainesville State players to run through as they take the field. I want some of our fans to sit on the visitor side and cheer for the Gainesville team throughout the game. We'll get you a roster with their names and numbers so the folks cheering for them can call them by name we'll have our cheerleaders go to the sideline and cheer for them. And here's the message we want to send. We love you. Jesus Christ loves you. God intentionally created you and has a plan for your life. On the night of the big game, the Gainesville State players were invited to come early and they were given a special pre-game meal. And as the Gainesville State players took the field, they were given a huge sign for the team to run through Hundreds of the Grapevine fans made a long spirit line and cheered the visiting boys as they ran out onto the field. The final score was one-sided with the Grapevine Faith Christian Academy winning easily, even though the Grapevine coach Chris Hogan put in his third string for most of the second half. After the game, both teams gathered at midfield for a prayer. One of the players for the Gainesville State team asked if he could pray His name is Isaiah, and he held back tears as he prayed, Lord, I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you, but I never would have known there were so many people in the world who cared for us. The Grapevine fans surrounded the Gainesville State players one last time, hugging the boys and wishing them well. As the Gainesville State players were escorted back to their bus by the 12 armed guards, each of the boys was given a bag. In the bag was a hamburger, some fries, a soda, some candy, and a Bible, and also a stack of encouraging notes from some of the Grapevine fans, parents, and coaches. Friends, this is radical stuff, but we have a radical God. How can we expect anything less than remarkable? And how can we live our lives as anything other than remarkable? Bible tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is present in your life and my life here and now. The world will offer us things that have no lasting value, yet God promises us the ultimate victory. Friends, we have a loving God who has saved us from something and for something. Are you just a fan or are you a follower?